0: The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walk this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to the Business of You. Today's guest has more credentials and academic degrees than anyone I've met in a very long time and possibly ever. But what I find most remarkable about today's guest is his humility and his warmth and just his sincere authenticity, which you can feel the second that you meet him. Dr. Azizi Satius' career can't be summed up in one title. He has several but his background is as a seasoned biomedical researcher, a scientist, a communicator, a health tech innovator, and a sought after speaker. He has been a consultant to some of the world's most recognizable organizations from NBC Health News to the Department of Defense. Today, Azizi's most recent job title is at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. He is the founding director of the Media and Innovation Lab, but he is also the associate director of center of the Center on Translational Sleep and Circadian Sciences. I hope you enjoy getting to know Dr. Azizi a little better from today's interview. I know you'll learn a lot and be in awe of his background just as I am. Enjoy. All right. Today, I am so excited to have Dr. Azizi Satius with me. He is the very first Brand ID client, actually former client, but always part of the family here at Brand ID, um, that is a guest on the business of you. Azizi, welcome.
1: Thank you so much, Rachel. I am so excited. You kind of took me aback when you said former, because you're right. Once. Um, a client, I'm always part of the family. So not exactly. former all, So no, no. thank you so much for having me. And congratulations to you for just all your successes. I'm oh, so excited you. for you. I'm so proud.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well, I know your backstory, which is so fascinating. And before we dive into your backstory, though, can you just share what your various job titles are now? Because <laughs> There's so many I can't even remember them all. But you're also just moving and shaking and making so much progress, and and I'm excited to take a deep dive into where you are today. But sure. bef- so just share your your you know titles, yeah. and then we'll thank go into you. your backstory.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. So so I have two lives, right? So I have the professional career life, and I have the family life as well. So those are the different roles and hats that I'm wearing. Um, but but currently I'm associate professor. Um, of Psychiatry and Behavioral Science at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, as well as Founding Director of the Media and Innovation Lab, as well as Associate Director um, for the Translational Sleep and Circadian Sciences Program here at the University of Miami. And my previous institution, I also have a faculty affiliation at NYU School of Medicine as adjunct faculty. So I'm wearing multiple hats from a professional side. Um, but from a family side, you know, um since this is, you know, I don't have any hair, but if I were to let my hair down, you know, um, I am, you know, just you know, I'm I'm a husband and a father to 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 two wonderful, beautiful um, um kids and you know husband to an amazing wife. So um, those are those are the roles that I occupy today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> those are some big shoes that you're filling very well. So <laughs> Thank you. Tell us just if you can, you your life story could be made into a a movie for the big screen. But <laughs> if you if you can share just a, a a version of your journey to the U.S. and um, how you got to what you're doing, you've hit a lot of bumps in your path. But you have one serious story of of perseverance, and I found it so inspirational. So if you could share some of that with, uh, with our audience here today.
1: Sure. Thank you. You, you know, um, you know, so, so first of all, you know, thank you so much for, you know, highlighting that, you, you know, and, and to be quite honest, if it weren't through you, um, many of those themes and meanings of my own life story and journey wouldn't have become so conscious to me. Like you made those conscious to me, but, you know, just, you know, you know, some specifics, you know, so, You know, I am the proud son um, of Jamaica, which is in the Caribbean, and grew up, you know, in a family um, with five women. Um, So my mother and uh, my grandmother and my aunt and two cousins. And um, so a very multi-generational family with women. Um, And and if you know anything about Jamaican women, that they are salt of the earth. you know, loving, um, and sometimes you get some soft loving and tough loving as well. Um, and I was a product of that because I was the only boy. And some people feel as if that it spoiled me. And 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 it was tough to say that you're spoiled because you know we grew up you know you know in a very humble environment. You know we grew up in inner city Kingston, Jamaica. Um, you know, and we were tremendously blessed. You know, from the vantage point that, you know, uh, my grandmother and my mom, you know, you know, certainly tried to ensure that we did not have any wants. So never went to bed hungry or any of those kinds of things, but I was fully saturated and, and just just surrounded by strife and being just acutely aware of the haves, the have nots and the have mores you know, the, 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 the have nots living in, you know, kind of urban, you know, you'd call it working class poor inner city community. We were one of the few people that owned like a small townhouse and around our neighborhood, you know, people with zinc homes, but I never saw myself as being separated from these individuals to be quite honest, because all of them were friends and we would play soccer on the street and basketball and, Cricket and all these different things. And, you know, today these folks are our lifelong friends. And just being utterly just blessed with the opportunity and the gift that, you know, um, I was kind of good at school and got good grades. And from there, I was blessed with different scholarships. I went to some of the best schools in Jamaica, all through scholarships and through the support of family and That's where I was exposed to the haves and the have-mores, you know, because when you came home and you saw the have-nots and then when you went to school and you saw the haves and the have-mores, you become very aware. You you kind of, you know, you're placed in this weird in-between where, you know, you had to, and and luckily um, my, my family, you know, forced me and supported me that I didn't have to take on two different personas. And I think that has carried me through today where some of the best compliments that people have paid to me is that I've remained authentic, authentic to who I am, authentic to where I'm from. I'm just having this burning desire to really improve the lives of the have-nots to ensure that they too can have a better way of living, that they can have better health outcomes, that they can strive for, economic growth and development and they can live a happy life. Um, And I think that's kind of what I was acutely aware of. And and just, again, just very blessed and fortunate to be given the opportunity to get a scholarship to come to the United States, went to a school called Holy Cross. It was, you know, a very small school and I was terrified because I went to an all boys Jesuit school in Jamaica and You know, when, you know, we had a priest, he came down and this is either fate or serendipity. um, But, you know, he came down at a time when I was a senior in high school and he's like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, I want to go to med school. And, you know, when I looked at it, it was going to cost my mother um, more to send me to med school in Jamaica than to go to the United States um, on a scholarship. And he said, hey, you know, um, we think you're great. You think you're talented. Apply for these schools. I applied to several schools and got in. And, you know, really it was smitten by the mission of the College of the Holy Cross in Western Massachusetts, you know, being men and women for others, because that allowed me to crystallize my life's passions about making a more equitable life, right? Because I saw glaring differences between the haves, the have-nots, and a have-mores. And and I think just that seedling being planted from an early age, going to schools that nurtured, that cultivated, that where, you know, I didn't have to become a politician because for one moment, I kind of toyed with that idea and I, I felt like I didn't have a thick enough skin where you know, I would be one of those people if I had an approval rating of 96%, I'd be focused on the 4% of people who didn't like me. Um, and 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 just felt that, you know, science and medicine was just one way in which I could, you know, do this. And, you know, I, I was so blessed going to the College of the Holy Cross. And then after that, going to grad school in Texas, and then coming back to New York, you know, going to grad school, um, you know, at Fordham and, all Jesuit Catholic schools. I've only been to you know, Catholic schools. I am not Catholic, but just being part of the vision and the mission of those institutions really made me be the person who I am today.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you rectify the fact, maybe rectify is too strong a word, but how do you, you know, you are a scientist, but divine intervention has played a major role in your life through some of the, you know, the, the hoops you've jumped through to get to where you are today, how do you, um, you know, connect those two or not? How do you synthesize them? I agree.
1: Uh, You know, I'm, you know, thanks for, you know, playing out that tension. Cause I think sometimes it's a false tension, right? Where you know, science and, and, and faith are immiscible. They're not, you know. To me, and how they work well together in my life is that they go hand in hand. So in many ways, I, I truly believe that I am all about purpose-driven passions. And, and my purpose is driven by what I'm here to do um, for the given time that I'm here to do it. And I spend every moment doing this. And, and if you look at some of the greats, and I would never consider myself a great, but if you look at some of the little breadcrumbs that they have left you know, as trails to live a purpose-driven life, that they have all kind of come to this one idea, which is find what you're here to do, be passionate about it and work unceasingly um, so that it's not about you, and it's for the betterment of others. And so it so happens that science and health and medicine is the vehicle; it's the arena through which I can do that. And so, for me, you know, you know, being a scientist, um, to me, you know, and I was a philosophy major too, so I think that I think I have a little bit of a kind of a deeper understanding as to how the two really meld together and the two really. Aren't separate. They're two sides of a coin. They're two different lenses through which we can see the world, but it's one world. And and in many ways, for me, I became a deeper personal faith when I became a better scientist and a deeper thinker and a deeper philosopher. And 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 I know it's not a popular thing. It's not a popular feeling. But I have been fortunate to fortunate and blessed. You know to work with colleagues who view things like that and who view the world like that. Um, And and so while in my science, I don't proselytize, I believe that when people hear my story or they see me or anything like that, they'll notice that there's something different. And the, the difference that people may see in me and see through my story, I don't want them to see it as, wow, this is really exceptional. The reason why is because um, when I look at my neighborhood in Jamaica, that there are a lot of exceptional people who didn't make it out. And so instead of looking at myself as though art worthy, that's when we develop that God complex. Instead, you don't say, I am great," but you can ask yourself, why me? And as soon as you ask yourself, why me? Why did I make it up? Why is it that I was blessed in this way? Then you are then stricken with fear or you are inspired to do more. And I've chosen that the second, which is to be inspired to do more. Because I believe that everyone is super talented, everyone is special, everyone is unique. Unfortunately, that there aren't enough people breathing in love joy and happiness in these individuals. And and that's how I lead as well. You know, so when I have staff that I don't see them as just staff, as a means to an end, I see them as whole human beings trying my best to empower them to ensure that they find their purpose-driven passions as well and providing them enough of enough guardrails, enough experience to help them to hone those. Because in order for you to, you know, have a purpose-driven life, it should not be unbridled passion, but it should be steeped in excellence so that you can execute, so that people can reap the benefits of your work. And so in many ways, I don't see the two being different, to be quite honest, in terms of faith um, and, and science. Religion and science are different. Uh, you know, but in terms of faith, you know, whatever, you know, religion you belong to, you know, there is this deep passion that uh, of wanting to find purpose. And that purpose should always be other directed,
0: mm-hmm. you know, not mm-hmm.
1: me directed.
0: True. Yeah. Yeah. So you you basically look at the commonalities between the two versus the differences between the two. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. There are tremendous commonalities and you know, it's, it's, it's seen, seen through, you know, as a leader, right? So, so, so science will tell you, well, you need a certain personality type to work with. If you don't have a type A person on your team, then your team is not going to execute. But then, you know, you have to ask yourself uh, why you need a type A. And then it gives you a new and a renewed sense of grace to see someone who may procrastinate or it it appears that they might procrastinate. And then your approach is not punitive when you approach that person, but one where it's more loving and more inviting to share what that person might be going through because you might be the only person that can tell that person something great or something that will set them at ease or something that will say, hey, hey, it seems like you're carrying a heavy load. What's going on? And and, and and you could be that person, you know, and especially, and not, not to be cryptic, but we need this, especially you now during the pandemic, um, you know, because, you know, the rates of suicide and especially very, very famous people who are committing suicide have gone up. Well, from my eyes, it seems that way. And I think it's because we don't have folks who exercise grace people who invite people to share and that's how we lead. That's how we lead um, in our science that's how we lead our teams. that's how we intend to um, um, conduct our science as well too at the media and innovation lab.
0: Yeah Yeah and you mentioned something to me as we were catching up beforehand about some of the dig- about digital mental health solutions that the Media and Innovation Lab is, is part of creating. Would love to hear more about that because I, I personally sure. feel as easy that the mental health pandemic resulting from the last two years is probably greater than maybe what we've encountered. I mean, you're, you're much more read um, and able to answer that question, but I feel this is something that we need to face
1: yeah. I think your question is fantastic. And the only thing I would say, you should give yourself more credit. It's, it's not that am uh, more red per se, because one of the things I oftentimes tell people is we feel it. We all feel it. You, you, you don't need science to prove that we have an issue. Right. We feel it. And, and I think, you know, this is where how we have gone about practicing. So, so here's what we've done in the media innovation lab. So this is a very bold you know, once in a lifetime, one-of-a-kind type of center. I've had so many people reach out to me once we launched in December because, you know, typically when you have these media innovation labs, you know, it's oftentimes focused on being a venture studio to kind of spin out new companies and all of those things. And we're doing that too. But when the mission is not entirely about you know, just spinning out innovations and solutions to bring in VC dollars, then you have to then ask yourself the question, which is what I oftentimes ask people, and especially companies who try and work with us. You know, I'm like, I oftentimes ask them, so, so, so you know, is your solution population health relevant? And they're like, what do you mean by that? I mean, have you tested it on everyone in the community? And, and we're talking white, black, brown, yellow, red, blue, women, men, um, y- you know, any, any type. And, 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 and one of the things that they oftentimes say, no, we hadn't thought about that. And, and then my, 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 my perfunctory response is, well, you should, we can help. Because people are not wired like that, because our business models don't work like that. So this is why I think we're, 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 we're unique. But here's what we're doing. We're trying to reimagine academic medicine and health Um, in in several ways. We want to be the trusted place that people can go to anyone in the ecosystem, whether they're patients, individuals, providers, payers, like insurance companies, industry. We want to do that. We want to be that, not just locally, but also globally. And we're doing this by reimagining medicine and healthcare across five core verticals. First, we are reimagining education. So typically when people um, go to either med school or they apply you know, apply to go to some grad school or even undergrad and just learn science, right? And innovation. Um, that they learn, you know, maybe the scientific method, maybe the engineering method. But one of the things that you really see is that the United States is losing the innovation race to places in Asia and other places. And the reason why is because our education and our training is not focused on innovation. So here's what we're doing: what we're doing, we're launching a whole suite of micro courses here at the University of Miami through the mill that focuses on innovation as a science and innovation as a methodology. And so, medical students and you know grad students and scientists know not only are they going to learn how to take care of patients, but they're going to be able to understand innovation one hundred one. And so working with companies like Amazon and working with companies like SoftServe, using your innovation platform as well as um, having curriculum to develop that. So no, you don't have to be someone who can create a digital solution. We don't think innovation should be focused primarily on that, which is oftentimes people think when we talk innovation, we think tech or big tech. No, this could mean uh, a medical student who wants to go and work in rural Kansas to serve an area, and he or she wants to create an innovative practice. How do you then increase access to care among these rural um, folks? And that's what innovation is. Innovation is making complex things simpler, right? And that's what innovation, so that's what we're doing in the education vertical, but we're not just leaving it there. Our second vertical focuses on ensuring that our research leads us to the most um, um, comprehensive, what we call etiologies or causes of disease. So right now, when we're looking at what are the drivers of hypertension or diabetes or asthma as chronic diseases, we just look at the usual suspects. And what we're trying to do at the mill is we're saying that we can actually leverage different types of data, whether it be technology, whether it be through devices, literally trying to capture the individual in a 360 degree way. So we recently launched our flagship solution called The Mailbox, um, playing on the words The Mailbox, because we imagine a world where instead of having to only go to your physician once a year or, you know, like, you know, twice per year, or maybe quarterly, instead, we want to shift, right? We wanna shift the home as being the primary source where health is done and use the health system as extensions of the home. Currently, the way in which healthcare is delivered is that the home is an extension of the healthcare system or the brick and mortar system, right? And instead what we wanna do is we wanna create infrastructure and we've done that through the mailbox that will allow us to provide personalized treatments. And so we're doing this bold thing, focusing on digital twins and digital twins is an opportunity to one, improve our remote health monitoring infrastructure, but also to create digital replicas of each person. So each person can have their own algorithm And this will lead to more prevention, better prevention, lower cost. And so it will also allow us to fill the data gaps as well, where you don't have to go to the doctor every year. You'll still have to go, but the doctor is still getting all these data.
0: Question on the digital twins. Is that an AI? Is it an actual thing or is this on a computer?
1: Yeah, it could be AI enabled. So what we're building is that when we get all these data, and we're monitoring people. So we have several NIH studies, National Institutes of Health Studies. And what we're doing is that we're monitoring people over a seven-day period, 24 hours, and through different IoT devices and wearables. So we're monitoring their blood pressure. We're monitoring. Um, Their sleep-wake activity. We're measuring weight. We're measuring noise levels. We're measuring temperature and air quality. So we're measuring everything on the individual, as well as we've partnered with Everly Health, which is our go-to biospecimen. So instead of going to the nurse or 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 going to the physician and they draw large volumes of blood we can use dry blood spot sampling. So I need to do is do a finger prick, put it on a cartridge, ship it, and you get your results in 24 hours. That's where medicine has to do. We need to actually make medicine be frictionless so that, and drive down cost as well, because when we make it frictionless, we can drive down cost. And that's what speaks to the third vertical um, in, in the media and innovation lab, where we can then, Make our delivery system work for people because it's tough. Try telling a single mom who works two jobs with three kids to go to a doctor. She or she may have to take time off. And if she she may be an hourly person, and if she takes time off, guess what happens? She loses that one hour, right? And that's key. So we don't want people to choose between getting paid and their health. Those two should not compete. And so through creating the mailbox, through improving the digital, you know, care strategies and solutions, this is what we will be able to do. And then that leads us to the fourth vertical, um, Rachel, which focuses on venture, which focuses on research and development, as well as dissemination. And essentially what we're saying is that we are creating some of the next level solutions. I can't say too much right now because, you know, but we are creating a world where you may not need to even have devices to do clinical vitals. All you need is your phone. And, you know, you can, you know, measure heart rates and all of those things just by using your phone and using, you know, different types of technologies and AI to do this. And so what we're doing with venture is that we want to create what we call two-way entrepreneurship or two-way innovation. Inside, out entrepreneurship, where we want to create the University of Miami and any institution where we have students, we have faculty, you know, staff members who have great ideas. And we want to bring them into a kind of a venture studio and help them to transform that idea into a product and from a product to a potentially commercial thing. And that's one way, and then we can bring in, you know, venture funding to help seed this, to take it to the next level. And then the other arc of two-way innovation is, you know, partnering with some of the top, as well as startup digital health technologies, where just like the question that I posed earlier, where I asked them if their population health relevant and they're like, oh, we're not too sure. Well, we can say, hey, This is not a blame game. We're not blaming you here. We will help you to roll out these interventions. And what we're doing is instead of thinking about underserved communities last or not at all, we can roll out a very comprehensive program and rigorous first in human studies where we're looking at people across all different types of socioeconomic strata. And so that's what we're trying to do with Venture. And the last one is service and outreach, where we wanna create um, the next generation of tech innovators. So we're teaming up with some companies to increase STEM education among adolescents, especially in underserved communities, as well as creating programs for adults so that they can become better consumers of tech. Because we know what COVID has taught us, everyone has had to age in place. But guess what? Grandma and grandpa may not even know how to actually set up a username and a password. Those things are tough. So we're trying to educate people, create solutions where people can age in place as opposed to just going to nursing homes. We can have remote health monitoring and all of that. So that's the broad vision, bold vision that, you know, the dean and other folks at University of Miami has invested in us to roll out the Media Innovation Lab. Mm
0: -hmm. You are definitely tackling a lot of issues on that. And the thing that's making my brain go a little bit <laughs> red is not politically red, but just red, like, yes, is the privacy around all this. If you're collecting all these health, you know, all this health data on an individual and creating a digital twin, how does one know that that eventually doesn't end up in the wrong hands or used against us?
1: Exactly. No, good. Good question. Good question. And it's one that we must tackle. So I think several things that need to occur. I think, so, so, so 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 here's the deal. So technologies will evolve and they'll evolve even beyond a digital twin. Right now, technologies like the wild, wild west, and I know government and policy are trying to find the right regulatory policies and infrastructure to tackle that very issue. But the point I'm making is that in order for us to ensure that people can trust this process or trust this new way of healthcare delivery is to ensure that there is an arbiter as well as some kind of governing body that can regulate this so that it's not the wild, wild west. So so I just wanna say that there needs to be a political regulatory solution. But in terms of a more industrial level type of, of of solution, whether it be a health system, or whether it be you know um, a, a a company, uh, that that there needs to be technologies that can assure the privacy. So here's how we've rolled it out. So essentially when people sign on to be part of our study, we lay everything out and we lay what the risks are, but we've also done a very good job to ensure that the data infrastructure that we have is very robust. It's HIPAA compliant, it's compliant for everything because you know, you know, it would not be approved and I would not run studies that don't have that level of security, right? But there are also new technologies like a blockchain like federated machine learning that can be utilized, though they're using fintech, I believe that the next arena for them to be utilized is in the space of healthcare. And I think that is where we also need to put those solutions out there. And you know, Miami is the one of the fintech capitals in terms of blockchains and Bitcoins, that that, that, that technology does work. And so we can do that. But the one thing I would also say, I would flip your question on its head, that it's not just about privacy, because in many ways, you know, our use of social media and all those things, like we don't have, you know, full control over those as well in terms of privacy. So it's essentially, we need to also have a conversation with individuals and with the public around what kind of world do we see? How do we want to practice health? So people do it with Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, right? And, and a lot more data is being generated and collected, but this one is for good. And I think this is where we can have, you know, um, very honest conversations around what will our future look like? And in some ways, flipping it on its head, um, um, Rachel, will look like this. You as a patient own that data, but guess what? Because you own it, you can use it for lucrative means, right? So right now, you don't have any autonomy as to how Facebook or Meta rather, sorry, I should say Meta, um, how they use your data. They just provide it. You do not earn anything from that. Instead. A kind of a federated, kind of more secure approach, like um on a blockchain, you would be the one who gets to own it. And so if someone wants to advertise to you like a diabetes company, because you know there's potentially some elevation, and, and we could keep that you know very closed off. No one has to know, but you get to decide who gets to see your data and they can actually sell their product and you get to benefit from that. That's the world, that's that's where we need to flip it on its head. So don't just see it as a privacy thing, but see it as you are actually taking full ownership of your data and if you wanna use it for you know, lucrative means or to earn funding because all of that, then yes, you can. But we need a policy, we need a regulatory board. In order to do
0: that, I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.